Why don't we uh, stand up together? This happens every once in a while. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing. Every once in a while, we get kind of quiet. We get kind of into ourselves. So let's stand up. And uh, you have to say something really nice to someone around you. All right. So uh, take a minute and do this. I know you have to do it. I'm sorry. I'm commanding you. Did everyone get a chance to do it yet? Something nice. Something pleasant. Okay, you can be seated now. You can grab your seats. See, now my hope in doing this, you can be seated. You can be seated. Stop saying nice things about each other, please, at this time. My hope is that now you'll say really nice things to me while I'm preaching, now that you're warmed up. Uh, it's great to be here today. Uh, today's lesson is entitled Traded. This is part four of a uh, series of lessons we've been doing here called Game Plan. And it's a football theme. How many people have been watching football the last couple weeks? I saw USC had a nice victory yesterday. Did they lose? I thought they won. UCLA still not winning. They have a lot of a lot of NFL players on that team. I think we might have some coaching issues. But uh, I grew up watching football. My favorite team was the 49ers. And I remember a time when the 49ers were great growing up. And I remember my favorite player was Joe Montana, the greatest quarterback to ever live in the history of the world. Notice I did not say arguably. It is not arguable. It just is. But there was a time in my young life when tragedy struck because Joe Montana was traded. He was traded to the Kansas City Chiefs along with, coincidentally, Marcus Allen. And this was going to be an interesting thing to see how the Chiefs would do with two legends who were kind of at the end of their careers and see what would happen to these guys and how well they would fare. The reality is for Marcus Allen and for Joe Montana, they, they couldn't be sentimental about the fact that they were traded. They went to a new city. They went to a new team. They went to a new structure of organization. And the expectation was them for, to still fulfill their duties as professionals. Just because they were wearing a different jersey or a different helmet or running a different system. And the truth is they had a lot of success. They almost made it to the Super Bowl, if you remember. Uh, that first year they lost the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship game. Uh, so they did very, very well. And what we're going to talk about today is going along with the theme Chris talked about a little bit in the welcome, that God has a specific plan for each one of our lives. And that's true no matter where you are today. It's true no matter where you live, no matter where you're from. It's true if you're from the United States or from Sierra Leone, I found out this morning. God has a plan for every single one of your life. Amen. And last week we talked about this. 
that this is the most common. If, if people were to ask one question of God, the most common question would be, what am I here for? God, what is your plan for my life? What is my purpose here? And I remember asking this question personally quite a bit before I became a disciple. I remember as a college student and uh, having a lot of really good things going on in my life, but wondering, God, what is your plan for my life? What am I supposed to do here? And then God revealing himself to me in a powerful way. And why does it seem so hard to figure out your plan for my life, God? What's the issue with that? Why is it so difficult? Why can't you, like, reveal it to me in a dream or make it really obvious one day with some writing on the wall like you did back in the Old Testament? And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. Um, Does God have a plan for your life? Today we're going to focus on the opportunities God puts in our lives and the way he tries to work on our behalf through our gifts and through our talents. Maybe you went online this week and tried your little talent. uh, What gift? how, How has God gifted me? Anyone try to do that? Maybe you found out you had some talents you didn't realize you had, some strange talents, some new talents. Um, But that's, you know, the the good thing about that is it's good to know what does God have planned for our life? How does God want to use us? How does God want to use us in the church? You know, historically, we've had a church that's been accused of being, of of having the 80-20 fallacy. Does anyone know what that means? Who knows what that means? 80-20 problem. Yes, Chris. 80% 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people. And that's actually been a true criticism of our church over the years. That we have some people who are very, very motivated to work for God and to apply their gifts here in the church, and then some that are not. And I want to tell you how encouraged I am this morning about a couple of the things that are happening right now in our church that I believe is turning the tide in a different direction. You guys want to hear about this? You want to hear some good news about your church? This morning, down in Kingdom Kids, there is a new curriculum being started. And it's because people got together and said, you know, we need to do something about the current state of our curriculum and our Kingdom Kids. We need to be updated. We need something different. We need to do it differently. And people have that gift in this church. Amen. We've got a lot of teachers around here. But, but people took the initiative. They said, I want to do that. And so today, for the first time in years, we have a new curriculum being kicked off with our children. Isn't that awesome? And, uh, you know, you might be encouraged by that right now, but you're going to probably be receiving over the next couple of weeks some homework for you as a parent. You say, wait a minute, I thought this was the Kingdom Kids curriculum. Exactly. Who better to implement new Kingdom Kids curriculum than the parents? Amen. And uh, also this morning I got here about eight o'clock. Get things going on the lesson. And, you know, usually when I get here at eight, there's a couple of people here at the most. But this morning, there was a lot of cars in the parking lot. I thought, well, what's going on there? And I walk in, and the stage is crowded with people. And it it was kind of a comedy of errors. I walked in, and these people are bumping into each other and asking, where do I put stuff? These are new people that volunteered after last week's lesson to be a part of the faith tech ministry in the back. Isn't that awesome? And that stage is almost, they, they have like import chairs back there today. If you look back there, they've got a big group of people back there learning how to do this. And they're going to get here at 8 in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, so that you can have church every week. Isn't that awesome? I think that's amazing. And then you had the sisters up here singing, the, the campus sisters. Isn't that beautiful? Man, you've got to do that every week. That's what happens when you do something well, sisters. You get asked to do it again and again and again. You'll learn that, that lesson. 
So last week we talked about how God has a thumbprint that's unique to you. And he has plans for your life. And he puts clues in your life to help reveal those plans for you. But the question is today, am I living up to my full potential? Am I, am I taking advantage of every opportunity? Am I taking advantage of the opportunity I have in the church to use my gifts? Some of us say, well, I'm doing it for God at the, at the workplace. But are you doing it here? Are you being used to your full potential in every way that you can possible? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. This is my theme scripture today. I've got like one other scripture, and this is going to be it. I hope you can remember this scripture, amen? And we all amen this scripture. Go, Yeah, that's the way it should be. But I'm going to talk about some areas in your life today that it may not be as easy as you like. Is that okay with you? I have your permission to go on? Let's go on. When it comes to input as a minister, there is two areas that are the biggest areas when people want advice from me. You might think people come to me and say, hey, Mr. Minister, Mr. Pastor, how do I get to heaven? That is not question number one. (laughs) The top two things that are asked about of me in terms of advice as a minister are career or money and relationships. Dating, marriage kind of stuff. Those are the two biggest questions I get. In terms of advice in my life, if I were to quantify it, those would be the biggest percentage of things that I'm asked about. And I'm I'm encouraged to tell you that we have a new series. It's uh, It's on your sheet that you got handed there. We have a new series coming up next month about relationships. So we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to shelf relationships for now. There's a new series coming up next month. You can look forward to that. It's pretty radical. It's got a radical title. Okay, the new rules for sex, dating and relationships that didn't grab your attention. You know, the minister said it right here from the pulpit. That's going to be we're going to talk about that. Amen. We're going to talk about that. Amen. We're going to talk about what God says about that because he does talk about that. Okay, but today we're going to talk about career. That's what we're going to specifically look at is this area of career and how uh, this idea of God's thumbprint works in our life. So this lesson is very, very specific. In this series, kind of big series about God's providential will, His moral will, how do I know God's will for my life? We're going to talk very specifically about an area that in our country right now is causing a lot of headaches for a lot of people. Jobs. Okay? And I, and I am in no way going to get political about this. I'm going to talk about what our attitude as Christians should be in the climate of a challenging time or an economy. But here's a question for you. Ever had a job you hated? Mild laughter throughout the crowd. (laughs) Of course I have. (laughs) We're going to talk about why you laughed in a little bit. But now that you look back on that job, that you value lessons that you learned. Anyone have a job like that? You hated the job then, but you look back now and you're like, man, I'm glad I had that job. I really learned some valuable lessons. Anyone ever had a job like that? I know I did. You know, God often directs, and this is one of the thematic um, ideas I'm going to give you today. God often directs through new opportunities that are connected to your current opportunities. In other words, God generally works through processes. And there's probably many of us in this room, given as many people are in here today, that are thinking right now, gosh, I want a new job. Or I want a different job. Or I'm underemployed. Or I don't like my boss. Or I don't like the people who I'm the boss of. I bet one of those questions 
or, or ideas probably fits with where you're at today. And so you're probably praying about that. I hope you are. But what we pray can tend to be overlooking what God's doing. In other words, what we do is, hey, God, do a miracle in my life right now. Get rid of my boss. And move someone into my department that's really, really cool and friendly and likes me and will give me a raise. Now, that could happen. And that would probably be a miracle. But it's not common to what typically happens, is it? Or maybe you're praying, hey, God, give me this or give me that. And, and we kind of were waiting for the magic to happen. We're waiting for, for, for the pixie dust to come out from heaven and for a miracle to be done. But God generally, and the world doesn't work this way, and God generally doesn't work through these big miracles. He works through processes. Just think about creation. A giant oak tree, how does it start? As a seed. And do you fall asleep and wake up the next day and it's a giant oak tree? What happens? It grows over time. It takes time. God's creation was born through process. Think about how you grow. Think about how a baby is born. Think about the time it takes. For the time when a woman finds out she's pregnant to actually give birth. Thank God it doesn't take a week. I'm pregnant. Oh, no. A week from later, you know, here's the baby. I'm not ready. But it's nine months. And I was grateful the first time I found out my wife was pregnant, that was true, because it gave us an opportunity. And this last time we found out, I was grateful, because I had to re-get ready all over again. God generally works through processes. If you look at most things in life, now, it doesn't mean God doesn't do miracles, but generally speaking, how God works, he works through processes. And every success story boils down to a series of opportunities in life. If you really think about it, it's true. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that God is working in your life right now, disciple, sister, brother. He's working in your life. He's working to create opportunities in your life currently, right now, in your situation that you might hate. That you might wish were different. That you might wish you had more money. That you might wish you had a different set of circumstances. But every success story boils down to, in one way or another, a series of opportunities. Are you taking advantage of the opportunities in your life today? Are you taking advantage of the opportunity that you have to serve here in our local church and, you know, Peter's talked about this a lot, and he said, he, he, there's kind of been a plea from the pulpit each week, hey, find some place to serve. There's a lot to do here. And, and I appreciate Peter, he's not, like, going to twist your arm and make you do it or anything, but I don't know if you've heard the theme, but it keeps coming, guys. We need help! We need more help! And what we're starting to see is the spark is beginning to ignite. Man, when I walked in this morning, i got to tell you, I was both surprised and very encouraged. So many new faces here to work on the audio. I was like, wow, this is actually beginning. This is starting. But I want to see that spark launch into a wildfire. I don't want the 80-20 rule to be true of our church. I want it to be 80% of the people doing 100% of the work. How about that? 
And what's that going to look like when you walk into this room? Wow. See, all of you are gifted. All of us have God's thumbprint on us. I want to talk about a few different characters in the Bible to make this point. People who God works through processes. Let's talk about David for a minute. What's David famous for? Okay, but probably the biggest story we know of is that he slew Goliath, right? That's a big deal. But what does David do when he comes on the scene that day? He sees the armies of Israel. He sees the Philistines. He sees the Israelites. What does he say? How dare this Philistine say this? And he looks at Goliath and he goes, you know, I've been here before. Back when I was watching the sheep, guess what happened? A lion came. And I took the lion and I killed it. And then a bear came. And I took the bear and then I killed it. This Philistine is just like those guys. David was prepared through a series of circumstances in his life. For that moment with Goliath. And so when he walks on the scene, it was very familiar to him. Everyone else was cowering in fear. Everyone else was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And David comes on and says, well, what's the panic about? What's the problem? He's just like the lion. He's just like the bear. And I've got to be honest with you. David took his job very seriously. Do you take your job this seriously? I am not a shepherd. If I was put in a field with sheep and a lion came... I would ask the lion, which one do you want? (laughs) David makes it his business. He's not a good shepherd. You're not taking any sheep. And in his menial shepherd job, he does the best job he can do. And because he did the best job he could do, he was prepared for a a later circumstance that he would become defined by in his life. God works through processes. You may not like where you're at in your career today. You may not care for your boss right now, but you are there for a reason. I promise you that. God doesn't make mistakes. And he's trying to teach us and help us to grow and change and understand. What about Joseph? Joseph was what we would call a very, very good administrator. Anyone in here administrator? Joseph was like really, really good at that. He was so good at it that he became the main administrator for one of the greatest empires in the history of the world, the empire of Egypt. But up until that, that time in Joseph's life, Joseph was what we would call woefully underemployed. He was sold as a slave. To Egypt. And he became a hired slave of an Egyptian official. But he didn't moan and groan about it. What he did was he did an incredible job taking care of the estate of Potiphar. And in doing so, he gained a great reputation. And then he had some things really go wrong and he ended up in jail. But he, in jail, what he does is he organizes the whole jail. He becomes friends with the warden. And he he gets all this clout and he gets all this responsibility in jail. And then when the time comes, when the famine comes, when the problems come, when the opportunity comes for God to use Joseph, he's prepared. He's ready. 
He is one of the greatest administrators in the history of the world. But he had some pretty menial jobs before that. You know what I'm saying? You don't know how God's working right now in your life specifically. But what you do know is he wants you to work with all your heart. That you do know. And if you can take what you do know about God and apply it to your current situation, your current set of opportunities, God will lead to greater opportunity in the future. And we're not even talking about right now. We're just talking about selfish, like career advancement. We're not even talking about how God can use you to help coworkers become Christians or classmates become disciples. We haven't even gone there yet, but that's what can happen. Joshua. Well, that's a character in the Bible, but I want to talk about me for a minute. This Joshua. You know, I've had a lot of different kinds of jobs in my life, and I've learned a lot of different kinds of lessons. And I was telling this story, I think, to Nick Garcia because he got his wisdom teeth out recently. But I got my wisdom teeth out, and what I did for a job at that time is on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I washed uh, 18-wheel semi-trucks for Anheuser-Busch. And so I would go all day. On Friday, it was actually uh, giant RVs, and then Saturday and Sunday were these big, huge semis. And we'd get out there with scrub brushes and scrub these uh, trucks up and down the roofs, the whole thing. They had a whole fleet. It took two full days to do it. Well, I got my wisdom teeth out on a Thursday afternoon and I called my boss to tell him I can't work tomorrow. He said, if you don't show up for work, you're fired. I'll find someone else to replace you. Well, I'm in college and I made pretty good money doing this. I only worked three days a week, but it was hard labor. So the next morning, 7 a.m., I got to work on some kind of medication very woozy. I can promise you I didn't do my best work that day. Every 15 minutes on the clock, I was throwing up. But I did my job. I hated that job. I look back now, and the lessons that I learned that one day about perseverance, determination, what I can do when I'm sick, they serve me to this day. You know, I had a really boring job one time at Cal Poly. I, I did my undergrad work at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and I worked in the foundation there. And, and they were transforming all, they were taking all of their paperwork, all their billing orders, and they were transferring them to Microfish. Anyone remember Microfish? Back in the 90s, baby. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And, and so my job was to look and document every single payment or bill that went through Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, stamp it, write a number on it, eight, nine-digit number to cite that it was in our possession, and then to, to box it to send it to be microfished. And I worked 20 hours a week in between classes. It was extremely boring. But I was a disciple, and I kind of took pride in having a good attitude every day. Like, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to be smiling, and my coworkers are all like, you know, and I'm like, hey, good, good to see you guys, hey, you know, and they kind of gave me a hard time because I was always happy. And, uh, and then... We were in the very back of the whole foundation, like in this closet dungeon area. And, and that's where we worked. That's where we were relegated to. But there was an office next to ours that was unused. And uh, the president, Warren Baker at the time, ha- had his whole like complete division redone. And so he moved his secretary to the office next to ours. And just over time, you know, friendly little me, uh, those who know me, I'm not that friendly by nature, but because of God, I can be friendly. Amen. And... Uh, and so I, I just kind of struck up a friendship with this lady, not really knowing who she was. And, and we became friends. I invited her out to church and things. She never came. But then I told her, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be graduating. I'm, I'm quitting my job and I'm graduating. She said, you're graduating. That's great. Well, you know, I'm, I, I can help you out there because 
at San Luis Obispo, you only get 10 tickets for graduation. She said, I'm the secretary of the president. Let me talk to the president and I'll get you kind of like the whole presidential package for your graduation. <laughs> so she gave me this invitation with the seal of the president, all this stuff. I could invite as many people to my graduation as I wanted. And when you drive in, you get the royal treatment. So you drive into the stadium and all these people are getting kind of yelled at and turned away. You know, you can't park here. What are you doing? Get out of here. Get out of here. My dad's kind of freaking out. So he drives up and he kind of holds up the, the, the invitation like, oh, right, right this way, sir. Please park right here. <laughs> and, and the ushers come up and my whole family's right this way, please, family. And they, they walk up and inside the whole stadium, thousands of people in the stadium, my, my parents and my grandparents and my family, the front two rows. I walk in the stadium and there's my dad. I'm like, Dad, what's up? I had no idea that they were going to get this kind of treatment. And I can't tell you that you being a Christian on your job is going to get you some extra benefit. You just don't know what God's going to do. I was blown away. To this day, my dad talks about that. It's like that was the most incredible experience I ever had. Super encouraging. See, God works in your life. Here's my question to you. What are you doing with the current opportunity that is right in front of you today? What are you doing with it? Because God directs through new opportunities that are connected to your current opportunity. But what are you doing with it? Are you just kind of showing up? And we're in a down economy and it's a hard time and it is in vogue to complain. I'm an American. I've got a right to complain about this. What's the Congress doing? And what's Obama doing? And where's my money? And rah, 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 rah. And let me just tell you this. First Corinthians 10 says that the Israelites did not enter the promised land because of grumbling. They wandered the desert for 40 years and died and did not enter the promised land because of grumbling. Grumbling, complaining is a sin before God. But some of you weave a tapestry of grumbling like it is amazing. Well, let me tell you about my problems. <laughs> and we don't stop and go, what am I doing? Complaining about your job is a first world phenomenon. Complaining about your job is a United States phenomenon. Go to the third world. See how grateful they are for their job. And how ungrateful you are for yours. See, if we have an ungrateful attitude when we walk into the workplace, we are not going to see what God wants us to see that day. We will not see the opportunity. God is setting before us because we've got a bad attitude. I mean, how clearly do you see when you have a bad attitude? I know I don't. And I have a lot of bad attitudes. We need to let the Bible affect what we see and how we see it. We can't just pray for God to intervene magically or mysteriously. But it's not how God is going to operate. Which means it is highly important and valuable where you are currently at today. It means a lot. It matters. Even if you're underpaid. Even if you're not doing what you love to do today. It matters to God. How you approach the situation. You know, when we moved here to... Uh, this area, uh, I uh, was asked to go into the campus ministry, not unlike Chris, and I was very encouraged at that time. Uh, in fact, when Zane was born, our eight-year-old, the announcement was made at church that day that Josh and Stacy are going to be leading the campus ministry. And 
the reality is we were not there that day at church. We did not hear that announcement because Stacy was giving birth. So we came back into a situation after our son was born of campus ministry life. And it's a lot different from married ministry life. And we're trying, okay, how do we get on campus with our young baby and have this kind of impact? And I decided I'm going to go and see if I can help out with the soccer team because I played soccer. Maybe I could do that. So I went in and, and, you know, met the coach and said, hey, do you need a volunteer to come help coach the soccer team or do put in some time? I'd love to just come out and hang out with you and the guys and, and, and whatever. And he said, actually... Uh, my assistant coach just quit yesterday. Do you want a job? I said, well, I better hold on. Let me go pray about it. You know, I didn't say that. But let me get some advice. Hold on. Let me talk to my wife. And, um, and so I decided to go ahead and do that. And it's interesting, you know, that job was not necessarily like full of joy. I didn't get paid hardly anything. They're always asking you to do something more. If you know anything about coaching college athletics, it's, an, it's a non-ending job. There's always more to do. But so I'd constantly have to say, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. No, I have church on Sunday. I can't do that. Um, I'm the minister there. I, you know, I got to be there to speak. I can't do that. And, I, and that's what I would tell uh, people. But it's interesting because I worked with some really influential people. And I got a call like two weeks ago saying, hey, Josh, I just want to know if you're interested in a coaching position. There's a really high profile Division One school that's looking for a coach. And on my recommendation, they will hire you. I said, I'll take the job. No, I'm kidding. I said, I'm a, I'm a minister. I can't take the job. But you just don't know. I mean, you don't know just how God's going to work. You don't know what God wants for your life. Even in Bible stories, and, and look at the story of David. There was nothing biblically supernatural about David slaying Goliath. No miracle. No hand of God coming out of the side, grabbing the stone and implanting it in Goliath's dome. That did not happen. As far as we know, biblically, it was a set and series of processes in David's life. We don't see a whole lot. There's a couple of miracles in Joseph's life, but, but, but by and large, it's years in jail. Years. Where he's just going about his business, trying to love the Lord. Trying to pray through that hard time again. Gosh, God, what? I'm in jail. This isn't good. I'm a world-class administrator here, God. I'm a slave in Egypt. God works through processes so many times. It's not depicted as supernatural biblically, but God is working. How is God working in your life right now? What are you doing with the current opportunity that is right in front of you today? Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. What is God's moral will for you? We talked about God's providential will and God's moral will. What is God's moral will for you on the job? This much you know. God's moral will is for you to work at it with all your heart. That's his moral will. Put your heart into it. But Josh, wait a minute. I'm going to pull you aside, Josh. I'll raise my hand in the back. Can, can we talk afterwards? Because I've got to tell you, I know that scripture is good, but you've got to hear my circumstance. Let me tell you about my boss. Let me tell you about how unfair the job is. Let me tell you about the workload. Let me tell you about how underpaid I am. And what I'm going to look you in the eye and say is, let me tell you about what it was like to be a Christian in the first century. 50% of whom some stats say were slaves. 
contextually in this passage, slaves obey your earthly masters. Not endorsing slavery, just saying if it's a cultural reality, you better you better serve your master with all your heart. But he's whipping me. Serve your master with all your heart. Ouch. I'm just saying, be careful with pulling me aside afterwards. Because you're going to have to go face to face with the Bible and what life was like then. God is saying this to them then and to us now. As if working for the Lord, not for men. See, this is where we get confused so often is that we, we, we insert men. We insert the brother or the sister in our Bible talk. And we say, well, I can't do that because of them. God's saying, just do it with all your heart. Are you honestly, brothers and sisters, are you honestly serving God with all your heart here at church? I know some of us, we've got to look inside today and say, no, I'm not. And that's okay. I mean, we've got to come to that reality, but we've got to come to that reality. It's really important that we be honest with ourselves and talk about it. Why? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What does this sound like? This sounds like Hebrews 11:6 language, doesn't it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is an issue of faith. How you work, what kind of employee you are, what kind of vision you have for for the way God is setting you up right now in your life. It's completely an issue of faith. It's not even an issue of what reward you will get. It is true what you do now will echo in eternity. What movie is that from? What you do now will echo through eternity. Thank you, Gladiator. It is true. What Maximus said. It's true. But do you have the faith to earnestly seek him? Do you have the faith to put your whole heart into it? The reward is there. Do you believe it? How do you operate? Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance it, uh, from the Lord as a reward. It is Christ you are serving. So if it helps you, I'm going to have some cut out Jesus faces when you walk out of the room today. And you can just ask your boss to wear that around all week. <laughs> and you will treat your boss so differently, he'll probably wear it for the rest of the year or she. It's funny, but this is what this is the way we got to think. It's Christ we're serving. Complaining about your job means you have some level of wealth. It means you're first century. And this is telling us how God wants us to view our current opportunity from him. He's saying to Christians, you belong to Christ. Jesus bought you with a price. God's moral will for you is to give your whole heart. And so he's saying, if you've been praying, God, show me your will for my, for my job. Show me your will. I, I'm happy to tell you this morning, I'm your answer prayer. <laughs> Work at it with all your heart. Oh, but wait, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> that's not the answer I was looking for. It, it's the answer you need. If you've been praying that prayer, guys, this is the answer. Work at it with all your heart. Treat it like you would treat Jesus. And then you'll be doing well. It may not be comfortable all the time. It may not be easy. But Jesus himself learned obedience through how? Suffering. And I bet most of us are suffering on the job to some degree or another right now. We don't value suffering in a biblical way until we see Jesus. And then we learn to value the things that we don't like. 
Why is this important? Because God works through current opportunities to bring about future possibilities for you. That's why it's important. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 talk about this. So we're going to finish up right here. Four closing questions. You guys ready for these? Here's your, here's your uh, economic lesson for the day. Job challenges in the United States as a Christian. How do I face them? Question number one. Based on your current performance at work, would you trust you with a better opportunity? There's a couple of nervous giggles and then a lot of silence. All right. I guess not. <laughs> you got to start doing better. Would you trust you? You know, you know what I'm asking you. Are you doing a good job? Are you shining a light at work? Or are you more inclined to complain and be negative? I, I'm certainly more inclined to be negative in my nature. That's the honest truth. And so this is challenging for all of us. Question number two, are you preparing for the next opportunity or just waiting for it? So if you're preparing for the next opportunity, what it means is you're walking by faith. You understand God's at work in all this and You know, some things are going to come up and maybe some opportunities here or there. And so, hey, I'm preparing for it versus just kind of sitting around hoping something comes along. And that's 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 kind of the idea of. What do we call it? uh, You know, waiting for coincidence to happen. God can work miraculously. Don't get me wrong. And we need to have that kind of faith. But if you're if you're planning your life based on miracles and God typically works providentially through 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 purpose, through, through process. What are we doing? We're not, we, we don't have a good plan. Question three. Oh, it's question one again. Well, it's question three. Sorry, I got that one wrong. Uh, you can blame me for that one. Just imagine a three there, right? Number three on your notes. What can you begin doing where you are now to prepare for the next opportunity? What can you begin doing here at church to serve? I know a lot of you serve, and I know a lot of you are kind of sitting on the sidelines. So what can I begin doing now to prepare for the next opportunity that God has for my life. And finally, number four, is there an opportunity where you are now that you're ignoring because the income doesn't match the workload? I'm not going to take that responsibility because it's only like worth a dollar more and I don't want to do that. It's funny. Uh, we had a parent-teacher conference with uh, Zane's teacher this week, Ms. Tanaka, and she said, you know, I asked Zane to be a group leader and he turned it down. I said, Really? Well, that's interesting. And Stacy was kind of happy that Zane turned it down because Zane's kind of a yes man. He'll say yes to everything and then get overwhelmed. But I was just curious. as to, well, So, Zane, why did you turn it down? And, and it really led to an awesome conversation for Zane and I to have about his perception of responsibility. You know, he didn't take that extra responsibility because he was afraid he was going to fail. I think a lot of us in this room can relate to that. God's trying to work possibilities out in your life right now, giving opportunities in your way. And you're just going, no, nah, I don't want to take that opportunity. Some of you are studying the Bible right now and you're afraid to become a Christian. Fear is governing your life. And the sad reality is the Bible says that love drives out fear. God wants a relationship with you that's based on love, not fear. But you're terrified. You're terrified of giving up sin. You're terrified of people knowing your sin. You're terrified of being a part of this group. I understand it's a diverse, interesting group, but they're really awesome. I promise. Um, we, 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 get, we struggle with these things. And it's no different when you're eight than when you're 80. Fear can rule and dominate your life. But is there an opportunity out there right now that maybe you're not taking or not considering? 
Think about it. Everything Joseph did before the age of 30 was beneath him. But without those things, he could never become the man of God that God wanted him to be. All that menial, smelly work David did in the shepherding field. For a king, come on, way beneath him. But David could never have become the man after God's own heart. And the king that's esteemed over all kings in the Bible, save for Jesus, without going through those days in the shepherding field. Some of you right now, you're in the shepherding field. Some of you, you know the warden real well. Some of you, you feel like a slave on the job. But you're there for a reason. God has a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. It's, it's, it's unique to you. It's important for you. It may not be realized for 10 years from now. You may not come out of that Sierra Leone situation for 10 years. But God will answer the prayer. God is setting you up for something great. Will you take it? God often directs through new opportunities that are connected to current opportunities. Let's close out with faith in action. Are you taking advantage of the current opportunity that God's given you? What current opportunity does God want to use you for in this congregation? Take a chance. Serve or volunteer in some way here in the church. Take a chance. You know, we tell people when they're studying the Bible, take a chance. Study the Bible for two weeks. Live like a disciple for two weeks. And you know in your mind if they really take that challenge, they become a disciple every time. You know it. Short time or long, it happens. Because they experience it. I'm asking you to experience serving in the church. Take a step of faith. Talk to Peter this week at Midweek, brothers. How can I help with the men's retreat? What can I do for the men's ministry? What way can I serve? Talk, talk to Stacy, single sisters. Talk to Chris, campus ministry. What can we do to make the church great? How can God use you in a great way? Let's finish with a prayer and then we'll close with the song. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for uh, today. We're so glad.